What does motion sound like? With Kizik Hands Free Shoes, it sounds a little something like this. Experience the magic of motion. Get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com slash socks. Welcome to season six of Fluster Clucks with Lynn Lyons, where we talk about a family's anxiety and all the big feelings too. We tackle the serious stuff without being too serious. And I'm your co-host, Robin. I'm Lynn's sister-in-law, and I'm here to ask your questions. And I'm Lynn Lyons. I'm an anxiety expert, speaker, mom, and author. And I've been a therapist for over 30 years. Parenting can be a Fluster Clucks, and I'm here to help you find your way. I'll give you concrete steps to take and the words to say. Happy New Year, Robin. Happy New Year, Lynn. (laughs) Whenever I say that, I think of that. Remember that video of your daughter when she was so little and she'd go, Happy New Year, everyone. It was so (laughs) Yeah, I do. Wearing the little gold sparkly top hat. Yeah, that's a great one. Happy New Year, everybody. What do you think? You think this is going to be a really easy, calm year that we're diving into? I think not. I don't think it is. I don't think so either. What habits are you trying to create for you? Well, I was just talking to my husband about this. And one of the things that we really want to pay attention to is that we need to have some more fun. And so we were just talking about how do we make sure that we have more fun this year, which may be involving going away and doing more of the things that we enjoy doing. So that's what I'm really going to focus on. I'm going to focus on saying no to things. When I say yes to things that I really don't want to do, I don't enjoy them. Yeah, nothing good happens. No, very rarely when I know that I don't want to do something and I say yes to it, that afterwards I'm like, oh, I'm so glad I said yes, even though I wanted to say no. It's more like, see, you should have said no. So I'm going to work on that too. In terms of habits for me, I'm still sort of thinking about them. I think mine are always in the self-care category. I'm very happy that I have habits now that even when I want to cancel exercising, I don't. I just push through it because something's always going to come up. So I just have accepted that I just push through and do something. And I love the woman that I work out with. She's always like, the only workout you regret is the one you never did. (laughs) That's true. Yeah. And the thing that I say, and this goes for a lot of things, but certainly with exercise, is that you don't make a decision every time of whether or not you're going to do your workout. You make a decision that you're going to schedule workouts, and then you don't keep making the micro decision of like, am I going to do it today or not? It's sort of what I say to families when they're dealing with school avoidance. If you decide every morning whether or not your kid is going to go to school, you're going to hit about, I don't know, sometimes about 70-30 or 50-50. So this idea of making one big decision, it's like a meta decision, and then the little decisions along the way, they're just trying to knock you off track. I love pumping iron. I'm going to keep doing it. You got to pump iron. And particularly as we get older, the research is really, really clear. We got to lift heavy things. So I'm super excited to talk about today's episode because we've actually been talking about this as a topic for months, how we label ourselves and how we label each other and why we need to pay attention to the labels that we use. Yeah. Labeling right now is incredibly pervasive. It's always been around. Human beings like to label things. We like to put things into categories because the world can be big and overwhelming and complex. And so if we can just put things in a box, put people in a box, 
put our kids in a box. It just sort of makes it feel more manageable. Do you say there's sort of a trend toward labeling that is really kind of out of control right now? Because that's kind of how I feel, particularly professionally. I'm seeing a lot of that going on. Well, I think labeling is a cousin of identity. So that's why label and identity, you can't really talk about one without the other. You know, I'm a parent of teenagers. Young adults are really into their labels. World events, labeling other people, that also comes up. How do we make sense of the world? Especially when the world is only getting harder and harder to make sense of. There's that knee-jerk reaction to try to simplify and make something easier to understand. I totally understand the appeal of labeling, right? Because it sort of makes things less confusing a lot of the times and you feel like then you have an answer to something. So the appeal of it is real. And I think human beings have been doing it for a long, long time. Labeling is not new. It's just interesting the way that it's happening now. The rigidity of it is that if I can put you in a box or I can put myself in a box and then everything that I do or everything that you do sort of goes through that lens. So the reason I'm doing this is because I'm blank. The reason I feel this way is because I'm blank. The reason that I have these struggles or the reason that I'm having this challenge is because I'm blank. And that gives us a sense of organization. It gives us a sense of comfort. Certainty. Certainty. And so the more we label, the more predictable things become. But the downside of it is, and we talked about this, if you haven't listened to the episode that I did with Michael Yapko, listen to that, please, please, please. But it brings in this concept of passivity. Well, the reason I feel this way or respond this way or the reason my kids do this is because they are blank. And it gives us permission to not question. It gives us permission to accept sort of where we are or what's happening, and it makes us more passive. So we've got this difficult combination of the rigidity of it, oftentimes the permanence of it, and then quickly we've got that passivity. There's nothing we can do about this because I am blank. Remember, I've been doing this for 33 years. So then we look at my field and how interesting the labels have moved. Because in the 70s, I wasn't a therapist in the 70s. I was just a little person. It was birth order. Birth order was really something that was talked about a lot. It's talked about now, but man, there was so much about being a firstborn or being a middle child. Then the discovery in the 70s into the 80s was the whole adult child of alcoholics and codependency. That was a whole new label that showed up that wasn't really talked about. And then we saw moving into more of the inner child work started happening in the 80s, which I am very familiar with. And it was sort of trying to figure out who you were and connecting it to your past And so we see this evolution that happens, but the process is the same. Here's the other thing that labels do is that, remember, we are social creatures. So it gives you an identity and then it gives you a group. It gives you a tribe. And because we are so tribal, all of this labeling is a way of sort of not only figuring out who we are, but also where we fit in. So it is so, so appealing To come up with labels for yourself, to come up with labels for your kids. Oh, she's the baby of the family. All of that stuff that happens. We're going to take a break. And when we come back, we're going to start with the way parents 
label their kids. Okay. If you are a mom who's trying to keep your calendar organized, keep your family's appointments where they need to be, then I'll tell you, the Skylight Calendar is a product that you ought to check out. You know how it is. Running a household can be pure chaos and it can be so stressful. This is why you need to check out the Skylight Calendar. It is going to make your life easier, mom. It really is. The Skylight Calendar is a smart touchscreen calendar and organizer for all your chores, groceries, to-do lists and a great way to manage appointments to make sure they never overlap and they're never missed. It helps keep busy households on track so families can get time back for moments that really matter. The Skylight Calendar is so easy to use and to set up. It's not going to frustrate you. You're going to be able to get it going within minutes. It syncs events from other family calendars, including Google, Apple, Outlook, you can add events directly using the touchscreen or with the free Skylight mobile app. Updates to linked calendars will automatically appear on the Skylight calendar at home. So no more worrying that you guys are going to forget something. No more cluttered paper calendars. It shows all family events together in one spot. The events are color-coded so you can easily see what everyone has going on each week. When the calendar's not in use, you can turn it into a digital picture frame. It's 100% satisfaction guaranteed. If you don't love the Skylight calendar, you'll receive a full refund. They offer a 120-day money-back guarantee and free returns. You can't beat it. I think the feature that I love most is the collaborative way we can all add to the grocery list. And then when I'm ready to place an online order, whether I'm at home or my office, I have that list and there's no more items that we forget. So as a special time-limited offer for our listeners, get 15% off your purchase of a Skylight calendar when you go to skylightcal.com slash flusterclucks. That's S-K-Y-L-I-G-H-T-C-A-L dot com slash flusterclucks. Mother's Day is coming right up. So order today to get 15% off your purchase at skylightcal.com slash flusterclucks. I really have to pay attention to hydrating properly. I work out a lot. I talk all the time, as you know. I am pretty active and I don't drink enough water. So I'm constantly thinking about how it is that I am going to hydrate in the best way possible. And I'll tell you, if my water has a little bit of flavor, it's so much easier for me. And if I can get those electrolytes, if I can get more bang for my buck, it's just so much better. I have been using liquid IV. I put it into a huge glass. I put it into the refrigerator. It's cold. It's very tasty. I've been putting it in my water bottle when I go to the gym. The packaging is so convenient. I actually look forward to drinking it, which is not something that comes naturally to me. I love the lemon-lime flavor. They've got a sugar-free option that is really great. So I think that if you're somebody like me that has a difficult time getting in the amount of hydration that you need for your body, Liquid IV is a great option. One stick, 16 ounces of water, it hydrates better than water alone. It's got three times the electrolytes of the leading sports drink, and it doesn't have all that sugar. It doesn't have artificial sweeteners. Eight vitamins and nutrients just for your everyday wellness 
It's non-GMO and free from gluten, dairy, and soy. However you hydrate, grab your liquid IV, hydration multiplier, sugar-free in bulk nationwide at Costco, or get 20% off your first order when you go to liquidiv.com and use code FLUSTER at checkout. That's 20% off your first order when you shop Better Hydration today using promo code FLUSTER at liquidiv.com. Are you overwhelmed by the things that get in the way of you doing what you want to do? Are you looking for ways to simplify life to better align with your values? Do you want to create space in your schedule so you have room for more of the good stuff? play, joy, relationships, gratitude, and more? If you answered yes to any of these questions, I invite you to check out Edit Your Life, a podcast to help you edit the unnecessary from your life so you have more room to enjoy the awesome. Through episodes with me, Christine Co., and a range of super smart, compassionate, and thoughtful guests, you'll come away with big picture insights and practical ways to declutter your home, schedule, and mental space without getting bogged down by perfection. I have always believed that small moments and actions matter tremendously. My goal is to help you find agency and space in your life through doable baby steps that will leave you feeling accomplished instead of overwhelmed. Check out Edit Your Life wherever you enjoy your podcasts. Okay, we're back. So one of the things that we often do with kids is we want to categorize them, particularly if you have multiple kids. I'm wondering too, I'm sure that teachers must do this in their classroom too, right? Because they're trying to figure out how to fit kids into categories. But the labels that we often give little kids, we've all heard it. Oh, he's my shy one. Or she's the artist of the family. He's the clown of the family. She's the stubborn one. We start identifying kids and talking about this trait in a global way. That's the other thing too. So we're hitting a lot of these patterns with this, right? Rigidity and passivity and permanence. And then this global, that this is who she is. So we hear that a lot. And one of the things we know from the research is that when you tell kids who they are, they believe you. Way back when, like in the 50s, there was the clear belief, I mean, just a given acceptance that girls were not good at math and science. Even now, they look at how teachers, how educators will respond differently to boys and girls based on this very prominent belief that girls are not good at math and science, and the girls lived up to that expectation. They said that about themselves. They believe that about themselves. So really thinking about the language that we use, how suggestible we are as human beings, and what we say to our kids and what labels we put on them they will see themselves. And it could be positive, right? You could say to your kid, oh my gosh, you're the most creative person in the family. And then they're going to take on that role of being the creative one. But what happens when we say, oh, she's the sensitive one. She can't handle this. And then we start protecting or we start pulling back or we start making sure that we're more careful not to overwhelm her with things. There's a lot of consequences to these labels. So my brother was one of those kids that his intelligence showed up on tests, tested very high for an IQ. And there was a culture in our family about how smart he was. I'm not shabby, but I didn't have the test scores that he did. 
and how that sort of shaped my identity. I would say that it made me try harder in a way because he was getting like the automatic praise. So I worked particularly hard and had to rely on effort more. And so it still kind of stings. And I just share that as an example. And the other thing too, is that even if it's a positive label, you're allowed to change and grow. And the labels that we may have when we're little are not the labels that we have when we're older. So one of the things that often happens in my practice is just as an example. So you've got a girl who's been in dance class and she's been taking dance since she was four. And she's a really good dancer and it's a part of her identity and she loves going to dance class. And then she hits middle school or high school and she wants to explore other things. She doesn't want to be going to dance class four nights a week. It's not interesting to her. She doesn't get as excited. And parents have a really hard time when their dancer now no longer wants to do dance because she has been labeled as the dancer in the family. Right. So it becomes harder for kids to move on from things or harder for kids to discover different parts of themselves if they're put in that role. It could be a positive role that they want to move away from. It could also be a negative thing that they don't think they can move away from. So it's this idea of malleability and flexibility and recognizing that when we label ourselves, that can help us sometimes, right? It helps us identify different parts of ourselves, but we are allowed to shift and change and grow. And kids are going to move in and out of labels. They're going to let go of things or they're going to discover new things. When we put a label on them, it gets in the way of that discovery. This label applies to the majority of our listeners right now, not everyone, but statistically the majority. If someone just looked at you and said, you're just a mom, it's like, no, I'm so much more than that label. So stop and think about what that means to you of where you don't want to be limited with someone identifying you in that way. Right. So just a mom, but think of all the other ways that we label ourselves, right? Say you're involved in an organization, it's your employment, you're volunteering, and somebody consistently says, oh, we're going to give this to Robin because Robin is a go-getter. Robin will make it happen. And then that feels good. And then this is where we get into the overwhelm, right? It feels good. We get sucked into this label of, well, I'm the person who people can depend on. And then it makes it harder to say no to things. It makes it harder to move out of that label. Let me ask you this. You've got two boys. And as you parented them when they were younger, I have a feeling you were very cognizant of this as you were parenting them. So as you were parenting them and focusing on this, how would this come up and how would you deflect other people wanting to create labels? Well, I will say that as you ask me that question and I think about it, I did not do it perfectly, right? I mean, there are definitely labels that we have in our family. And it's just bringing up to mind now, we say in our family, there's the brown eyes and the blue eyes. So there's two people with blue eyes in the family and two people with brown eyes in the family. And we label them that way <laughs> based on a lot of characteristics that are not just their eye color. So as you're saying that, I'm thinking like, I did the same thing. I did the very same thing. Oh, and not only that, you just fed me because we have that exact same dynamic in our family. So here are some labels that we can try not to. Yes. Yeah. So we do it without even thinking about it. I mean, I think I was very conscious of not saying, well, he's the blank and he's the blank. But did I do it with my kids? Absolutely. I absolutely did it with my kids. 
I think if we were to call them up and ask them right now, what is your label in the family? They would probably know what their label is. It's hard not yeah, to do it. Yeah, but I'm going to push back because I still feel like if you had an outsider of the family want to label one of your kids, oh, is he the artsy one or oh, is he the sporty one? I know that had to have happened and I know that you would have wanted to deflect that, right? Yeah, I do remember that happening actually because my older son probably was more bookish when he was younger. He read all the time. And there were people who started referring to him as the intellect or the smart one. And my younger son is really smart also, just in a different way. So I remember pushing back against that just because it was more obvious in terms of their interests. I mean, I'll give myself a little bit of slack on that, but I think it's just really important for us all to recognize how easy it is to fall into these labels. It very much is, but it's an important reflection. Do we use any labels, all of us right now, in our families where we might be imposing an identity on our kids that limits their ability to check into their greater sense of self? Let me tell you an example of the way that parents label in a way that they probably don't think is labeling. And you've just gone through this whole thing with the college process. And I've talked about this before, but when parents are talking to their kids about saying, I really want them to find their passion, they're really saying, we've got to find a unique label for you. We've got to find a way to market you. We've got to find a way to make you stand out from the crowd. So I really want you to find your passion. But the way I hear that is, We've really got to find this label because we got to package you up. We got to make you sound good and we've got to offer you for acceptance generally into college. So that whole idea of sort of like I'm helping my child find their passion, the way that I hear that, the way that comes into my brain is like, you're looking for a label for this kid. And I think that when we talk about the college admissions process, that is a very good example of where this whole labeling thing explodes because we think this college is looking for the blank, blank, blank. And I don't fit into the category of the blank, blank, blank. I think if we're talking about teenagers at this point, I think that's where we see things becoming a little problematic is that they have absolutely drank the Kool-Aid of they need a label, they need something that identifies them, and they're doing it in a way that is so rigid and so permanent at a very time in life when they're supposed to be kind of all over the place in terms of figuring out who they are and discovering new things. I think the labeling of themselves is a direct result of a lot of things that have happened culturally where we have said to kids, You need to find where you fit in and you need to label yourself in a way that you will find this group that you can belong to, that you will feel like you have a tribe, that you will feel like you have an identity. And I think it's becoming problematic because I don't think they know themselves well enough at that point to take on all of these labels that tend to be oftentimes restricting or not even fully formed. We've talked many times already about the identity of a mental health diagnosis, or even if they haven't gotten an official diagnosis, they've diagnosed themselves from TikTok of very bizarre and rare psychological disorders and conditions or basic ones. So we have other episodes on that. The other thing that I want to talk about a little bit is sexual identity and labeling. 
For all the Gen X parents out there, this is a new territory that one has to really ask a lot of questions to get caught up and up to speed with. I talk about this a lot with my kids, actually. We talk about sexual identity labels and how they come up. And the one thing that I would say is that particularly for the age group that has been impacted by the pandemic in years where maybe they were going to start dating or whatever, it's just very common. Like you told me this. Kids are actually less sexually active now than they were in our generations. Correct. Yeah. In general, everybody, there's a lot less sex going on with other people. Right. But there's a lot of labeling going on in place. (laughs) So kids are now focused on where they fit on the sexual spectrum. That is their sexual activity for this chapter of their lives instead of actually bonking. (laughs) So, and of course, we're speaking... We're generalizing a little bit here. When I talk to my friends who live in different parts of the country, the response to this can be different. It also depends on the types of kids you have and the friends that they have too. But if you have kids who are from big cities and are creative types, there are 12 and 13 and 14 year old kids who start identifying with really complicated sexual labels about their identity and sexuality, even if they haven't actually entered into the stage of their lives where they actually have any sexual experience too. It's a tricky thing. And I think that one way to think about it is that when a child is going through adolescence, it is a time of great doubt and uncertainty. And so there is a desire to figure it all out. And so whatever we're talking about, whether we're talking about interests, whether we're talking about sexuality, whether we're talking about whether or not you're going to stay in your dance class or not, all these different things... I think there is a push for young people, you say, even before they have any sexual experience at all, to figure out who and what they are at the very time when they're filled with doubt about who and what they are. So it's a tricky combination for kids to manage. And I feel that there's some pressure for them to come to some sort of conclusion about it that sometimes is absolutely spot on, but I think we've made it a lot more complicated for kids. For sure. One of my friends who does sexual education for work, and I loved the thing that she had come up with, which was what if it was like declaring a major, but being undeclared is a perfectly acceptable status for a while. So if you have kids who have chosen a label that they have shared with you, you know, just say, that's great. It's also like in college, you take a lot of different courses and you could be undeclared for a while. Until you have some data, until you finish puberty, until you sort of know. Well, and sort of interestingly, as you're talking about college majors, one of the things that I've seen over the last few years is seventh and eighth graders really being disturbed by the fact that they don't know what they want to be when they grow up, that they don't know what they want to major in, and that there's conversations during high school a lot about figuring out what path you want to take and what major you want to commit to. Yeah, it's the same dynamic. It's the same dynamic. The other thing that I think is important for us to talk about in terms of labels, it's that global language again. If you label yourself as something and then that becomes all that you are without any of the other parts of you being explored or enjoying or that kind of stuff, that's when it becomes limited. And when you talk about connection and you talk about relationships, I think we really need to be careful because what's happening now is that, and it's happening with adults too in this country, is that you have a label and then you are only going to be that label and you are only going to hang out with people who have the same label as you. 
and you're only going to identify as that thing. And again, it could be politically, it could be sexually, it could be interest-wise. And I think it's just important for us to really give the message to our kids that there are so many different parts of them and they're still figuring it out and we're allowed to change these parts around for our whole lives. Yeah. And I just want to clarify because not everyone who's listening knows me, but the label that my daughter brought up that I had a conversation with was a 13-year-old who labeled herself as aromantic. Aromantic. Correct. So I just want to say that obviously a friend came to my daughter and said that she thinks she's a lesbian or that she's a gay man. That's not what we're really talking about here. We're talking about all of these new labels that weren't around when we were teenagers. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I don't even know what an aromantic is. Well, often it's combined with aromantic asexual. Oh. And that's the thing is that I think there are many aromantic asexual 14-year-olds in the world. (laughs) I think I might have been one. Sure. So follow that same group of 14-year-olds and check in with them at 25. And I don't know that everyone remains aromantic asexual. That's the point I was trying to make. They just grow up and hate Christmas. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, that's an important distinction that we're making is we are not saying that if you know who you are in some way that you must be wrong or that it's going to change. I mean, I have plenty of gay friends that were like, oh yeah, I know I was gay when I was six. So that's not what we're saying, but we're talking about how complicated we've made it for kids and kids that are trying to figure themselves out in all sorts of different ways. They're seeking labels and they're seeking diagnoses. They're seeking categories. They're seeking identity in a way that perhaps is a little more rigid or a little more even premature than they need to. So let's take a break. And when we come back, I just want to spend a little bit of time talking about how sometimes labels can be really helpful in certain situations. No one told us the truth about parenthood. Why? This is the podcast everyone needed before they had kids, because now that those little ones are here, there is a lot to unpack. I'm Rachel Shepardota, and I am your host for the podcast, No One Told Us, where we tell the truth about parenting and let you in on all the stuff you really should have known about before having kids. I am the founder of Hey Sleepy Baby, but this podcast is so much more than sleep. We'll be diving into all the topics that you really care about and need to know while you do your best job raising those adorable, tidy humans. Our goal is to just make you feel less alone and less overwhelmed. There are so many things that no one tells us before becoming a parent, and I think that we should really pull back the curtain on becoming a first-time or second-time mom or dad to share the good, the bad, and the ugly. We'll have a little education, a little fun, and a whole lot of heart that goes into each and every episode. So join me and our amazing guests each week to hear us talk about what no one told us. Hey there, I'm Debbie Reber, the founder of Tilt Parenting and the author of the book Differently Wired. The mission of Tilt is to change the way neurodivergence Whether that's having a learning disability, having ADHD, being gifted, autistic, or some combination of all of the above is perceived and experienced so differently wired kids and the parents like us raising them can truly thrive. On the Tilt Parenting Podcast, I get to talk with authors, therapists, educators, and parenting experts who are committed to this mission. I ask the questions my listeners are most curious about when it comes to supporting our kids. And in turn, my guests share strategies for challenges, out-of-the-box ideas for navigating school, best practices for therapies, 
tips for advocating, and so many thoughtful insights on what it really takes to help our kids grow up feeling seen and respected so they can create awesome lives for themselves. I know that raising a differently wired kid can feel overwhelming and isolating, but I promise you, you are not alone and it can feel so much better. If you're on this parenting journey, come listen to Tilt Parenting. Together, we can shift this paradigm and show up for our exceptional kids with hope, possibility, and joy. Okay, so now back to the show. Okay, so in all of this talk about the flexibility of labels and how we don't want to label kids and we don't want to give them an identity, let me just also say that there are certain times, and it comes up in my work a lot, in which certain labels or certain pieces of information or certain diagnostic categories are really helpful. So there's several that pop up into my head right away. When somebody is just confused about what's going on inside of them in terms of their brain and why they can't figure something out or they're having certain emotional reactions to things, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It can be really helpful, for example, for a kid to understand what OCD is. Because if you have intrusive thought OCD, which means that you are being invaded, there's a part of your brain that's throwing these horrible thoughts at you, and you think that that's who you are, you think that you actually are going to do this horrible thing, or you might want to do this horrible thing, and if people start interpreting, why are you having those thoughts? And then I say, no, no, this is a thing called OCD. And then I explain, this is how this thing works. And it has nothing to do with who you are as a human being. It has something to do with the fact that you've got this disorder called obsessive compulsive disorder. And that can be so relieving. I've also found that to be the case with kids who have dyslexia, for example. So they can't figure out why is this so hard for them? Why does it seem like All their peers are able to figure this out and be able to read and be able to decode and they can't do it. And then they get some really good evaluations and it's like, you're dyslexic. And they're like, oh, okay. And the list goes on. We can talk about a lot of different labels like that of things in which we're better able to understand who we are, that it explains certain things of how our brain operates. Now, that said, of course, I don't want that label then to become all of who they are, which is what I see very often happen with things like anxiety and depression, particularly depression because that's not a permanent state. But just so you know, there are certain diagnoses and labels that are very relieving to kids and to families because it puts things in a context that helps them know what to do next rather than just being confused or feeling so horribly different or feeling as if they're alone. It's a fine line we walk because as you said at the outset, Robin, There are a lot of kids that are diagnosing themselves with things, and social media, TikTok in particular, is causing a trend of teenage girls in particular coming up with these very rare and unique diagnoses and then really identifying as that. That said, however, there are really some very positive things to sort of knowing this about yourself. doesn't define you fully but it allows you to know what your strengths are, what your challenges are, and then what do you have to do in order to manage your operating system. So from a clinician standpoint, what I hear you saying is kind of interesting. I am thinking, of course, about the Michael Yapko episode. But when you talk about dyslexia and you talk about OCD versus anxiety and depression, if you are someone who has one of these diagnoses of OCD or dyslexia, The way I'm sort of hearing it is that 
you're going to have to develop consistently the tools and skills to keep that disorder in check. It's not who you are, but it is the same hurdle in many circumstances that will come at you in a lot of different forms, but the skills that you learn to do that. Whereas like anxiety and depression, these labels, they're different in a way. How are they different? Yeah. The way that I look at it is that no matter what diagnosis you get, there are going to be things you have to learn. If you talk to somebody who's a reading specialist, if they diagnose a kid with dyslexia, they don't just say like, well, he has dyslexia, so we're never going to give him a book again, right? So we're done with that. But what happens with some of those other labels like anxiety and depression, which are so, so treatable, is that I hear teenagers saying, well, I'm anxious, so that means I'll never be able to do this. Or I have depression, so that means this is how it's going to be forever. That's the passivity with these disorders that actually feed the disorder, that make it worse. And make the self-treatment not be very effective. Correct. And this is where that Michael Yapko episode came up. If they're passive in their diagnosis and they're passive in their treatment, there's really not a high likelihood that things will change. Correct. In fact, quite the opposite. There's a high likelihood that things will get worse and that things will become permanent. It's this interesting thing of sort of looking at the label we have and is this a permanent label? You don't grow out of dyslexia. OCD is highly genetic and most people who have OCD will have OCD, but we never want that passivity or that global view of this is who I am and there's nothing I can do about it. We never want that mindset to take root and we certainly don't want it to take root with anxiety and depression. I was born with this little funky eye that sort of wandered around. And so I had surgery when I was two. And the eye surgeon said to my parents, she has to do this exercise. You have to do this exercise with her in order to strengthen those muscles so that the surgery holds. I'm sure I'm saying that simplistically because I was a little kid. And my dad did those exercises with me every single night for years and years and years. If my parents had said, well, I guess she's just going to have that eye that sort of shoots off in the other direction and didn't do anything about it, I would probably have an eye that shoots off in the other direction. So it's how do we actively look at the labels or look at the diagnoses or look at the categories that we're in, and then how do we actively make sure that we are developing the skills, we are understanding it, and we are working at it so that it doesn't take over and define us in a way that is not helpful right? It's just not helpful. On a broader level, the danger and the toxicity of labels really comes about when a label is assigned and we go clap our hands and say, okay, the work here is done. Then what comes from that also is this is who I am. There's nothing I can do about it. And everybody else needs to act in accordance with this label. So then it becomes that you're passive and you're requiring the external world to then adjust to this label. And again, it's not all or nothing. If you have ADHD, we absolutely want there to be some accommodations in the environment because your brain works in this way. You've got to figure out what those accommodations are, but then it becomes your job, it becomes your responsibility to learn the skills and work on the skills that you need so that this label doesn't fully define you. 
And that label can be a variety of types. It's not just the mental health. Right. It can be all sorts of things, all sorts of things. If somebody says, well, I'm highly sensitive, and so that means that I can't be around people who fill in the blank, right? Well, if you're highly sensitive, that may be something that you can work on so that you can perceive things in a different way. Any label that we give means that, okay, this is a part of us, but it's not all of us. And then what are the things that we need to develop or we need to be aware of so that this label doesn't take over who we are in a permanent, global, passive way? So if your 13-year-old came to you and said, I'm a romantic. I would say, well, I... I don't know. I would be like, because I'm just learning about this label for the very first time. Oh, yeah. um, so like, I'm a romantic. I think I would take it as they said, I'm a romantic. And I'd be like, oh, me too. I love Hugh Grant movies. Yeah. So maybe I would say something like that. I would just be so. So in all seriousness, if my child came to me and said, I'm blank, I would say, well, tell me more about that. Or I might say, well, how did you figure that out? Or what parts of you do you think helped you figure that out? And then I might work into my language over and over and over again. I like you say, you're a cake that's still in the oven, right? You're still being baked. You haven't figured all of yourself out yet. This is also a really helpful way to talk to kids when they're struggling with something. So they're sort of afraid that they're going to be labels as a certain thing. I don't have any friends or I'm not popular or this or that. Then we can also say it's so important for you to right now for you to understand that you are still a work in progress. We are all messy works in progress. I have that on a slide, actually. We are all messy works in progress. So it's that language of flexibility and malleability in growth, which is the opposite of permanence, passivity, and global thinking. Okay, so Robin, in summation, let's just go over what we did say and what we didn't say, because this can be a pretty hefty topic for people. Here's what I didn't say. I didn't say that you shouldn't let your kids be who they are, that you shouldn't let them explore all the different parts of themselves and all the different ways that they view themselves. But what I did say is that as kids are coming up with identities, as they're trying things on, as they're learning things on social media that might not be helpful, please, please be aware of how labels can both define kids when parents put them on them and also become too permanent, too global, too fixed in a way that gets in the way of the very flexibility and wonderful discovery that is so important as a part of our child's growth and development. I didn't realize this until you summarized it, but the irony is that we're talking about labels, especially for teens, as a tool for those to try and determine and explore who they are when things are still in formation for them. But the irony is that some labels can interfere with that growth process to begin with. Exactly. That's exactly correct. So the goal is to allow, believe, support, give your kids the opportunity to see who they are, just like you might think of trying on different costumes or things like that, but not getting caught in the trap of thinking that a permanent label that a rigid label, that a label that might be limiting in some ways, and sometimes a label that might keep them away from different opportunities, that's what I'm most concerned about. And because I know there is so much stuff about mental health on social media, 
because I know there is so much discussion about this in our young people. I want to make sure that we are not falling into that trap. Thanks for listening. And if you found this podcast helpful, please give us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. It helps other people find this information. And if you'd like to dig deeper on any of these topics, we have specialized playlists on our Spotify profile and the link is in the show notes. Topics like teens, depression, and OCD. Bye, Lynn. Bye, Robin. When it comes to raising kids, there's so much to consider. Things like, what do we feed them? When do we feed them? How do they sleep? What does it look like to raise kind kids? How does their nervous system work? How do I keep myself calm? What are my triggers? There's so much that comes into play. And we are distilling all of that information for you at Voices of Your Village podcast, where we bring experts in the field of early childhood and education and psychology and across the board so that you don't have to comb the internet for information. You get to show up and hang out and have shame-free, judgment-free conversations and insights into what it looks like to raise kind, empathetic, emotionally intelligent humans. I'm Alyssa Blask Campbell. I have a master's degree in early childhood education. I'm a mom of two, and I am walking this journey right alongside you doing this work. Come hang out with me at Voices of Your Village, and we can dive into real conversations with actionable tips.